Welcome back to another episode of the Higher Love with Megan podcast, talking all things mind, body, soul, healing and expansion with me, your host, Megan Cooper. If you are returning to this space, please do take a moment to rate the show or you can head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review, all of which enables more people to find me and for me to connect with more great guests each week for both yours and my enjoyment. If you're new here, welcome and it's great to connect, celebrating you for dedicating your time to self-discovery and reconnection. Our time is our greatest commodity and gift, so thanks for investing it in yourself and sharing it with me. Up on the podcast this week, we have the fabulous Naomi Gale. Naomi Gale is a vaginologist, educator, guide, speaker and content creator. Naomi is a highly qualified, nervous system-led, somatic-focused, root-healing mentor, guiding people back to connection with their wombs, vaginas, and vulvas. As a former classroom-based teacher, Naomi educates with ease, making everything accessible. Her primary focus is on people learning the tools needed to live a more rooted, nervous system-led life. Naomi's work has been featured widely, from BBC podcasts to sex-positive influencers' YouTube channels to articles in Cosmopolitan and elsewhere. I stumbled across Naomi's work fairly recently when I saw clips from her book launch for her book In Your Vagina Lies the Keys to Your Happiness. I was immediately magnetised to her message. I love women educating on these topics. I immediately loved her vibe, read pretty much every single one of her posts and immediately invited her onto the podcast selfishly so I would get to hang out with her, but secondly because I know this would be such an incredible conversation to share. One that would educate, inform, inspire and empower so many women listening, and I trust and hope that it does exactly that. Thank you so much, Naomi, for being here. I'm really, really grateful for you spending your time and energy with us and really excited to hear all of your wisdom. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me, Megan. It's an absolute pleasure. Can't wait. (laughs) Okay, so your book in your vagina lies the keys to your happiness and your work. What is it about? This is a great question. I mean, how long would you like for the The whole premise of my work is about us coming back into relationship with our pelvis. But I use anatomical terms like vagina, vulva to ensure that everybody is engaging first of all with the anatomical terms but also because I feel that that moves through shame so I see myself as really the person that people would come to for more support with perhaps physical challenges like there might be pain or there may be emotional pain physical pain but also to start moving through the shame that may be held overall not just from experiences there may be trauma, there may be challenge, there may be, um, you know, these experiences that we've moved through, but also there's a patriarchal um, shame that exists with the pelvis. So the whole point of my work and the book is to start moving that shame through, um, through society uh, overall and through uh, people who are reading and engaging in the work, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. And you describe the book as a fuck you to the system (laughs) that that continues to suppress. So can you expand on that? Yeah, so in the book, I do a long explanation of how we've been shut down in society. What I see in society overall is this complete and utter shutdown of the pelvis. So much so that if someone asks me what I do, either they engage in the conversation with open eye, like open ears and eyes, and they're like, oh my gosh, like this is fascinating, or they completely retreat back into their bodies and into themselves and they like shut down the conversation. And what I see every time I open up the conversation is such a mixed bag of opinions and uh, feelings and narratives. So the system continues to bind through a variety of narratives. So it could be through the fact that we can go into a supermarket and it's still called sanitary wear, right? And I'm like, well, sanitary means to be clean. So you're saying that we're dirty when we bleed. Or the system in general, like on social media, for example, we're banned on social media for using anatomical terms. And people will be like, you're not banned, but it's like, well, you'll put red flags on my account because I use the word vagina. And there's only places like this where we can talk freely with language like this that I'm not shut down. Um, Even when I like send an email, my own email will go in my own junk because I've used anatomical terms, you know? So 
what I see is the book and my work as a bit of a fuck you to the system that binds and that continues to suppress and continues to put shame and uh, around everybody's basically their body autonomy, their, their right to speak up for themselves and their needs and to educate themselves and to learn about what it is that they need and what they can do to support themselves. That is completely and utterly removed. And it's and it's re- removed through so many sources, such as it's not great education at school, really, in general. Um, it might be getting slightly better, but I wouldn't say it's that great anyway. Or through to um, the way that we can't access the education that we need on, on social media because we're banning accounts that are educating, you know. So where do we go? And then and then in the, you know, in doctors, for example, they're not trained in gynae. They can be literally go through the whole system and get to become a doctor and not have really any gynae training. So yeah, so it is a it's a it's a yeah, it's a fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> oh, I love that. And in the book, you mention quite a bit around how this um manifest within the medical system and that was obviously a big part of your journey into this work so could you expand a little bit on that and how this exists within the medical system and what you experienced and how that got you here yeah so when I when I was 17 I had painful periods um to the point where they were deli- like so debilitating that um when I went to the when I went to the doctor they just put me on the pill straight away and now we know that the pill shuts down the cycle. Obviously, I say now we know we should know, but we don't know because that's not how it's ever really been explained to us. Mm-hmm. So the pill shuts down the cycle. And when we're when we're um, when the cycle's maturing, so when the HPO axis is maturing, so the hypothalamus, the pituitary glands and the ovaries, they have to mature. So they have to be able to have what I would call like their monthly dance off. Right. And that it doesn't mature until we're 21. So if we're shutting down our cycles before 21, and this might feel quite triggering, especially if you're perhaps listening to this and you're on the pill, I'm just saying I might be quite damning about the pill, but everyone has a choice. And it's for me, this work is about being informed so so we can make better choices and good choices and the choices that we want to make for ourselves and we feel are good and we feel are better choices. So if I was shut down before 17, um, then obviously I didn't then and my I didn't fully understand my cycle and my rhythm then when I went to conceive um later on the I had infertility challenges but it was with my husband not really with myself um but the thing was was that um when I came off the pill a few years later you know my late 20s those period pains came back so when I was trying to manage them I was trying to manage period pains um, where I was like literally in the staff room of was teacher at the time and I was in the staff room and I couldn't actually take my own register because it was so bad. But I also obviously couldn't say, hey, I've come off my pill. So um, I'm trying to conceive. So like overall, you know, I was like, where do I go? Where do I turn? And the doctors were as useless as they were when I was 17. But when I was going through IVF, um the main doctor she said oh darling do you have painful periods and I was like oh that's funny no one's ever asked me that before um but way that my clinic so I had a fertility treatment abroad in Athens and they were very holistic in their view so they would say things to me that I've never heard anyone say to me in the UK um and I am quite damning of the UK system and I think rightly so to be honest um and um, she said that basically when I give birth, then everything would be better. She's like, oh, don't worry, darling, it'll be better. And I had, and I've had, I've given birth vaginally to my son and he was an eight pound four baby and vaginally to my twins um, and who were almost seven pounds each. So I had a fair, fair few watermelons coming through. Do you know what I mean? And I ended up like still with major period pains after I gave birth uh, when my periods came back about two years into breastfeeding my twins they were so bad they were debilitating again and I also ended up with ovulation pains every month and I was like shit me I'm having ovulation pains and period pains do you know what I mean like I've got no let up and so when I went back to the doctor he said the same thing that he'd said when I was 17 well you're not going to help you you need to help yourself so go on the pill and I was thinking you can't be serious you can't tell me that I'm now early 30s and you're giving the same advice that you were giving me when I was 17 that's mad so I thought you know I just felt like as well within my IVF process um in the UK I was gaslit 
consist- consistently gaslit. And it wasn't about me. It was about my husband had a zoospermia. He doesn't have a single single sperm. So actually, all I needed was some sperm. <laughs> That's But it got to the point where I was like, is this really all I need? It's just sperm. Because you're telling me like to put weight on and all this shit. And I was like, what the hell? And like the whole system to me was just, in my eyes, just like broken. I was like, this is a broken system. And a postcode lottery and your exemptions to those who can have IVF under NHS is bullshit. And like, just there's so much to it. And then I just realized that when I started training in um, some of the modalities that I work with now, that I was meeting people who had gone through and, and, and no one's journey is worse or whatever. But to me, I was listening to them going, oh, my gosh, this is worse than I've been through. You know, that's how my initial response was, you know, or meeting some of the women who I'd met in Athens. You know, there's a lot of British women there and Irish women that I met and their journeys were like just insane you know I'd been going on that journey for like nine months ironically at that point to get to Athens but these journeys were like 10 15 20 years of trying to conceive and like hearing their pain and their challenge and I was thinking yeah like there's just so much here and then when I did my research for the book I interviewed a friend's son who's been through doctor training and I knew that he would be quite good at inter- being interviewed about it because he didn't have the best time um, for various reasons I won't go into. But I was pretty shocked by the training for doctors. I've, his stories are actually really quite horrific. And um, I'm sure it's not everyone's experience, but his was awful and when I interviewed him I was asking him specifically about gynae and obstetric training and to find out that you can literally go through the system and they're not enforcing gynae obstetric training it's not in exams it's not it's not a yes you have to go to that lecture to find that out so I basically said to him outright in the chat I was like so you're telling me that a doctor could get into that position of being a doctor with very little or maybe no gynae training really and he was like yeah and that's your first port of call when you're when you're uh, challenged with something so so yeah so that's kind of my experience and then yeah and what what's what's continuously reaffirmed to me again and again and again and the system obviously doesn't take into account emotional holding in the body and I feel like this is a massive missing piece with the pelvis the emotional holding person in the body has to be taken into consideration in every given situation for us to be to to be able to really understand truly what's going on in the body and when I meet people who have been through the NHS with support or meeting consultants with support and whether they've been privately or NHS it's always about pain management rather than looking at the root cause of what it is in the first place um so that's a problem yeah yeah and how do you think that we've got here you know, to this point of, I mean, again, it's a huge question, but how do you feel like we've got here to this lack of education, it not really being present in the medical system? Like, how is this system being upheld, would you say? Mm, it's a really good question, because if you look back at, like, the ancient times, um, we were revered for being you, you know for being bleed for bleeding you know like we're putting red tents and we all like we, we know this information now there's plenty of us that are aware of that so I don't know how we've gone from like revering people with pelvises and bleeding and all this like amazing like um information that we were getting at that point and about just generally being cyclical and I, I don't know how we've gone from that to this very heavily uh masculine oppressive approach to uh, pelvic health I would say if you were asking me Megan uh you see the way I kind of view it is that um I see those who bleed uh I see us as having like a lot of power mm-hmm. a lot of knowing and a lot of um like when I see like an someone leave my space like empowered with that like oh, I can do what I need to do energy I'm like god there's no stopping them you know and I'm like I'm like in awe and that's like why I love like one-to-one work because like having that relationship and then seeing them move into this power through understanding what they need through their pelvis is like oh my gosh this is such a gift to witness mm. so what I sort of feel like is that those who men over the time who haven't can't bleed and can't shed and can't do all the and, and don't have that um 
power that perhaps I feel some of us have this is very this is this will piss people off but I kind of feel like it's that shutdown that's continuously happened the powers that be have continuously shut that down and mm-hmm. have deemed it to be not important and I could give so many examples of, of of how this kind of continues to manifest or how or how this continues to show itself but you know like how w- women's uh, health like the research of women's health is so shit it's so awful to the point where I wrote about this in the book and you know the covid vaccine for example they bought it all out and we were all trying to get and scramble information from social media about whether or whether not to have it if for example you were trying to conceive a child you know because they didn't bring it out with like let's clarify everything that's going to happen here and we've definitely understood like how this interacts with the menstrual cycle and we definitely understand how this interacts with conception and pregnancy it was a shit show Mm. it was a shit show and so for me i'm like well, I see how this continuously keeps repeating itself, the same pattern again and again and again. And what it does is it puts us into a position where we do not trust. On the whole, people don't trust the system. So then they don't go to the doctors with whatever it is that's coming up because they just know that they're either going to be gaslit, ignored, downplayed. Da, 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 da. So then I feel like there's just the manifestations get worse and more challenging over the years because people don't know where to turn for help if that makes sense yeah 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 absolutely and you've seen this play out on social media as well haven't you experiencing um being shadow banned and cancelled and things whereas there's probably a lot of other information available to men which is inflammatory which is not cancelled so could you talk a little to that how you see that play out on social media too yeah, so it's a really good question because this kind of mirrors what I'm saying. So yeah. just in case it's like, no, because <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I get that. They're like, you're talking shit, David. <laughs> um, what 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 happened was was I went viral on TikTok um, and so my work was really empowering a lot of people and I had no idea like that the way I because I kind of see myself as a really good middle ground to this work I don't talk too spiritually but I am spiritual versus I'm not too medical um because that is obviously my background anyway I'm holistic in the way in my training I'm not a medical I'm not a doctor I'm not a gynecologist um but the way I view it is that I am actually quite glad that I can kind of be a bit more neutral and middle ground with it so when I was on social media I was my yoga mentor at the time and she was like you'd be great on TikTok babe go on TikTok so I've been on there for like 10 days I shared this video and then it went viral and I don't mean like a little bit viral I mean it went very viral to the point where I was getting duetted with so if anyone isn't aware like on TikTok people can duet I think you can do that now on Instagram but where you would like duet with people but it was a big thing on TikTok with like you know imagine like those people who were doing like the song parodies and that kind of thing but this was happening with me going the key to your success lies in your vagina if I hear myself say that any more times in my lifetime I literally might like dissolve so literally everyone would like do that bit of my video and then they would find keys they would be like started this weird trend and they would find keys from their like pelvic area and be like oh my god I found them and then what happened was was this this would like play out and it hit massive influencers and it hit them and then they would share the video and then that video was hitting like six million people I was like looking at these views like of these other videos and I was being directed with like 20 30 times a day like for like about a month it was insane and then it hit Instagram and I was like well you know you've made it when something comes off TikTok and then hits Instagram and some of the big influencers on there not that they always tagged me of course people would just send it to me and go have you seen this and then at the same time TikTok suddenly went wait a minute <laughs> who's this talking about the va- vagina and then um basically my videos went from like repeatedly hitting not that I think that this should happen and yes TikTok's landscape has changed quite a lot because now my videos might hit 200 people but I still think that links to the fact that they started putting red flags on my account they would say they would um the videos would be like being reviewed they were being like like send I'd send them and then they would process them as it always do because obviously video gets processed but then they would go into review and they would just sit there on like zero 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 views sometimes for up to 24 hours and then someone would review it but they hadn't but like even if I shared a picture of the blue sky it was being reviewed but at the same time of me being reviewed and 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 I was hitting a lot of young people I was having dms so many dms going like oh my gosh thank you so much for this like this video has really helped me with this and i was getting so much like obviously feedback as well with support not just the the joke 
side of it but Andrew Tate for example which we all are aware of now he's now recently been um done for all this work like you know sexual awfulness that he's been part of he was like creating this like whole movement of young mainly um th- men who were saying horrible horrible awful things about how to treat women and like you know he was a misogynist of misogynists he was like dubbed the king of misogyny and they were not shutting him down in any which way shape or form at the same time me empowering you know the feminine was being shut down and then what happened was was that they started um there was a video if no one knows how it actually happened where he kind of got if no one's aware of what that narrative was but basically there was a very influential youtube person who wouldn't normally share this kind of thing he was like he was more of a gamer really and he basically did a whole video on how awful Andrew Tate was and what he was seeing was young people coming through on his page and it was dangerous very very dangerous I'm there talking about rape and rape stats and the importance of consent in society and then Mr. Misogynist over there is saying like that basically use the words of if a woman gets raped, that's her fault. Right. I'm being shut down. He ain't. And then this guy on YouTube was like, this needs to stop. He needs to stop. Someone needs to remove him. Then the social media accounts looked into it. He was removed from Twitter. He was removed from Instagram. But incidentally, where I was being the most shut down was TikTok. He was not removed from TikTok for another 24 hours after the rest of them around that time because they were investigating whether his videos were bad. Meanwhile, you're reviewing mine before they even go out. So we all know it. That that's that's what was happening at the time, and literally right at the time of me being shut down. So it's a really good real life example of the challenge yeah. that we still face. Yeah, and you talk about this a little bit in the book. Um, is this like continuation of the witch wound, right? Yeah. Could you talk a little yeah. bit about the witch wound because it's a topic that I love too. <laughs> the witch wound. Um, I mean, Nic- Nicholas Sturgeon was it twenty twenty two? Was it yes last year? Apologized for the witch wound. Never really been outwardly talked about, but the witch wound essentially was where people were being hanged for basically talking about what we talk about now, Megan, mm. as an yeah. who would be open hanged? We're fucked. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Mega fucked. <laughs> but it's basically like that they were going around hanging anyone who would agree with anyone else about basically having autonomy over the bodies, essentially is what it was. But they were basically saying that they were witches, right? And that they were doing like some weird ass shit and we should hang them for it. And they were, they, it was Scotland where it was the one of the worst places and they hanged thousands of people. We're not talking like a few, we're talking like thousands of, um, mainly women were being hanged. And no one talks about this. No one, it's not really, I mean, saying no one. I mean, we do talk about it. I mean, we talk about it. And, and, and spiritual places tend to, spaces tend to talk about it. But generally, this is just something that's kind of disappeared and gone onto the radar. So we know it has because Nicola Sturgeon literally had to apologise on International Women's Day in 2022. 2022, this was years ago. So um, then um, what I see is that the witch wound continues in other forms. So it's like, okay, well, because no, nothing really bad happened as a result and that that those laws that are in place around the witch wound continue to be in place for years after until quite recently some of the laws around the witch wound and the witches and the hanging of the witches i can't remember specifically what they were but i when i was researching the book it actually blew my mind like some of the the legislation that continued on in the houses of parliament until very recently and so what i see is like okay we're not going around hanging people because that obviously isn't acceptable (laughs) but what we're going to do is we're going to shut people down on social media instead and like ensure that it's shut down through the anatomical language and so I made a joke because you know threads came out i.e like Instagram Twitter if you haven't found that yet that hoo-ha and then I went on there and I was like just as a joke I was like oh can I use cunt vulva and vagina on this one and then it was like straight away I was like this is inappropriate language I was like what already so soon you've only been up for like a few hours <laughs> you know so they was like what have you done like gone and programmed it what have you done like programmed it so like anyone that uses this that's inappropriate I don't understand like so that's how I, I kind of see it because it's just anatomical mm. terms yeah uh, what know. did your healing journey look like with your vagina Ooh, that's a great question um well I've never been able to hold a wee in really until 
done this work. So I used to wee myself as, as a child, I would have a wee and then I would always be like, oh, a little bit of wee would still come out like after I'd been to the toilet or I'd have to keep going back to the toilet because there was more wee that wanted to come out. And now I look back and I realize that it's basically all my pelvic floor holding. And so I had a lot of trauma as a child. Um, I was hit as a child and emotionally abused as a child. And so basically that must have just, and I used to wee myself when I was being hit. So obviously that's all like the trauma that's linked in with that. And then um, when I had my son, they gave me an episiotomy. Um, mainly they said I needed it. I mean, obviously I, I wish now I voiced that I didn't want it because what I've learned and I've seen with a lot of clients is that episiotomy uh, healing is a lot worse than a tear healing but they were like oh you're gonna tear and I actually would have rather have teared than had the episiotomy um but he was coming out with his hand around his face cute for him less cute for yeah, you. yeah <laughs> yeah super cute though but if we could have just avoided that <laughs> um, so yeah and they forcepted him um so the episiotomy was so painful and the healing of it was so awful and sex was so weird it was weird like my husband's penis didn't feel the same <laughs> it was weird and like sex wasn't enjoyable and it was just oh it was horrible really and the pelvic floor didn't get any better uh obviously from that um and then I went through myself back into an IVF journey. So pissing myself was the last of my concerns, really, Megan, at that point of my journey. Um, but then when I had my my twins, um, basically they took the catheter out and didn't tell me because I had epidural uh, because with twins, they just get very heavily involved. Um, and um, I stood up and I just gushed. I mean, I must have peed like the as much as like a racehorse all over the floor of this space right and I was a I wasn't mortified because of what I've just been through but if I hadn't just been through that I would have been absolutely mortified but b this midwife just stood there and she went well you've got pelvic floor to work on and at the time I remember her saying that and I was thinking yeah babe but you know this isn't a matter of me just giving birth now I've always had this ish this sort of issue mm. And then I couldn't hold in a shit. So you don't want to shit yourself, do you, Megan? Do you know what I mean? No. That's like a whole thing. <laughs> Weeing yourself, it's like a little bit of wee comes out. You're like, fair, but full poop. Full highly, highly inconvenient. <laughs> Unless you have been in the middle of that Brighton, um, you know, in the middle of Brighton's like shopping centre. And I've just attached Virtual square. Yeah. And been like, it's happening. And like running to that like one toilet, like near what was Debenhams or that area. Just been like, go in. And like my husband just left with the three children. And he's like, got you. Yeah, you do you. <laughs> so I can't live like that. And then um, I basically dived obviously into all this work and I was getting more of a connection with my pelvis, like through womb work. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. And I was really starting to on this like really deep healing journey for myself through all the trauma. And then kind of what happened was I landed on Tammy's work, Tammy Lynn Kent's work, as a result of another course, a breathwork course I was doing, um, a circular breathwork course. And they were like, this is part of your reading. And um, I read it and I cried after I read her book, Wild Feminine. I love it so much. I feel like you have to have gone on some level of spiritual journey to follow her threads a little bit. But I adore the book. I adore her. I adore her crone energy. And she was coming to London to do some training. And I'd engaged with the book uh, and the book's exercises to, to, um, to a point, of course. Like you can only get so far, but actually working with her through training, um, that's where it was pivotal for me. And now I know if, um, and now and now like my connection with my vagina and, and generally just like pleasure during sex. And actually my, my connection with my clitoris is like a whole new level as well of doing this work, which is a, a beautiful, like for me, what I see as a side effect of actually what was a very physical challenge. Um, I, you'll be pleased to know Megan and listeners will be pleased to know that I no longer shook myself. Um, and um, I also am aware when I need to come back to connection. I'm aware of when my nervous system is very dysregulated, then I lose connection with my body, I lose connection with my pelvis, I lose connection with that pelvic floor. 
And then I come back into ritual and ceremony and massage touch and the fascia release. And then I'm able to continue on with my journey, if that makes sense. Um, so I didn't do the squeeze app. I didn't do any Kegels that everyone tells you should do. That isn't the way that I believe um, is the way. Um, but as a result of doing this work, I've I've really like had such a, you know, a transformation, I would say, from myself mm. over my overall body. But that kind of like general worry of weeing and pooing myself is no longer <laughs> congratulations <laughs> so for people listening who are new to this work how does it feel to be connected or disconnected from our body or vagina because somebody listening might be like well I think that I feel quite connected but actually they haven't done any of this work and maybe they don't even know that they're disconnected so how does it mm. feel to be connected or disconnected from our body or vagina Mm, that's a really great question I would say like I mean if you're listening to this and you're feeling a deep connection um then that's amazing but I see there's like various connections right we could be sexually connected to ourselves and that isn't really the focus of my work I kind of see I'm not saying that sexually connecting to ourselves is bypassing that's not what I'm saying but there is a level of potential bypassing if we're just working on how can I get the orgasm or yeah. uh, how can I be with orgasm or when I go to self-pleasure it's all about climaxing because I kind of see like the climax as the climax and then there's always the fall down mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean it's the come down which is it's great to get there but then when you're there that's it and then there's a drop down and it's a little bit like you know when we have the you know alcohol fix or drug fix that's kind of the way I view it I'm not dissing it because I bloody love an orgasm Megan but I'm saying that you know we need to be aware of like what does that when we say we're connected is it just a sexual or is it just like a you know I'm really great in like just having a great orgasm you know because it's more to it so that's one level of connection I see people say they have. And I'm like, OK, but what if I started talking about connecting in through ceremony and ritual and being present with kind of any feelings that can come up with connecting in with the pelvis? What if I said to you to write a vagina timeline, a vulva timeline, and you go along this whole timeline and you write down all your experiences and um, anything that's coming up? How would that feel for you? What would come up for you overall? What's the overarching theme for you? because if it's if it's the overarching theme of oh I didn't really think about you know how poor my first bleed was for example or I didn't really think about that sexual experience that I had when I was drunk when I was 19 and I've not been able to go there but now I think about it my body is kind of like contracting a little bit then what I'm saying is is that there's still work to be done and I would say Megan that I haven't met anyone really unless you've deep dive and I mean specifically deep dive with your pelvis in this way and you've definitely done work with the vagina I wouldn't say there's anyone that would sit here and listening to this and say oh yeah I'm great I'm really connected because I see even for myself I do the work that's what's important for me and I see that there's still so much work for me to do so what what I would say is that you can have a connection but it depends on what what the layers are with that connection. So if you're if you're thinking, okay, well, um, sexually, I I'm disconnected. There may be that. It may be that you don't feel like you can enjoy sex, or maybe you can't enjoy one night stands or enjoy being with your partner. There can be a level of that. It could be that you absolutely don't want to bleed, like that blood ain't coming anywhere anywhere near me. There can be that level of disconnect. It could be a disconnect with conception and being like, I'm trying to conceive, but I don't know what conception really looks like for me, or I don't really truly understand my cycle. I've got an app, I've got the app, but I don't really understand the app or don't really fully understand. I know where I'm on day one, but I've been having sex like, I mean, when a client comes to me and they've said they've had sex like eight or nine times before they've even ovulated, I'm like, hey, I don't know how you're still standing. You're not exhausted by like having to commit to that, both of you. Um, but B, there's like such a like a level of misunderstanding around how to to conceive and actually how the body works. Um, and so there's that or just a general lack of uh, lack of education around how the body works, like how your cycles are, like how you're seasonal, how you can work with your seasons and your hormones and being aware of what your discharge is even and like how your discharge works because discharge is such a gift. 
and we can learn so much from it. And that shutdown in society, you know, some of us will wear panty liners every day because we don't want to feel wet. We want to feel dry and almost clean because that's the sanitary term that we hear. And that's instilled in us. Uh, even if you're douche, like you're washing with like washes, like femme washes, old question about that. That could be a, like a disconnect that you're subconsciously not aware of because we're told to be clean. There's adverts for it. Do you know what I mean? So, of course, you know, we're going to go out, potentially buy it. I mean, there are even holistic, more holistic uh companies that are selling that and i'm still not sure about that i'm like yeah it's kind of organic isn't it but then i'm still like but do i really need it to smell like peppermint I'm not sure i do so you know it's 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 those sort of layers does that does that answer the question again I don't yeah know no 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 it does it does absolutely you've mentioned a few different you know tools and practices and rituals and i know that sometimes for people coming into a new area of their healing it can feel a bit overwhelming and like oh god like where do I start do I need to do everything you know like how, how do I even know which bit to begin with how yeah. would you say to begin on the first steps of this kind of journey of reconnection yeah it's a really what, great one because it can feel overwhelming and I think um I think we we also can approach this as very much like I'm going to do everything and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and actually, we're not ready for that, really. If we think about the layers that we're the layers uh, that we're working with, um, there's a lot there, and we have to be really gentle with ourselves. So, um, for example, like if I deliver a workshop or a talk, or maybe if you're even listening to this, you might notice in your body some tension or some challenge. And so, just to be aware of of how triggering at times this can be. And even the word vagina, I was chatting to um, a friend of mine on the beach. Um, she has a little girl and she was like, you know, I'm all right with vulva. I use vulva with her. Oh, but the word vagina, or oh, even just like saying it now, like, oh, it's too much. Mm you know so I'm like so you wouldn't use, use the word cunt then and she was like oh my god <laughs> you know and so it's like it's like just being aware that there's a lot to it and that mm. it's not just from your own trauma or challenge as I said at the beginning it's from society in general and there's a lot to unpick yeah. but my first thing I would say to people is that if you've not done any cyclical awareness at all or mm. any or any any uh diving into that um you know if you've never read like period power with Maisie Hill or any of those things then I would say um a really good starting point would be just to start tuning in to what's coming up in the body every day for a bit in a journal um and just being like oh okay that's interesting like I'm on day 18 and that day has been really challenging but there's no you know there was no real reason for it being challenging so I'm wondering why that might be oh actually if I understood my cycle now, I can see that progesterone is rising and progesterone can bring about challenge because it's pulling me deeper into the body. Whereas estrogen is that outward, more of an exciting hormone. It gets me going, but actually I'm confused because I should technically be in my summer season when summer is this like outward time, but I'm actually feeling really inward. Why is that? And starting to make these questions, starting to make these connections and then, and then kind of tuning into seasons overall and being like, okay, well, the more I dive into this, the more I can do this like over three months, you know, so writing every three months and then have it all out in front of you and flick back and see those challenging days and see if they mirror month to month. And then wondering, Huh, I wonder why that is. Oh, maybe I just do find my summer season a little bit challenging and the progesterone pulls me into my body a little bit. And I actually want to cocoon more in my body. And what would that what would that look like for me? And I think that word, the word, the, the question I always give clients is like, what do you need? What do you need at any time? Always, what is it that you need right now? And so giving them that space to kind of explore that. And then you could then as well within those days, just explore discharge. So if you're on contraception, you could still do that and just see if there's any any discharge as well. Um, but it's it's when you're exploring discharge. Um, and the reason I do this and the reason I get people to, to check in with their discharge, which seems such a basic thing to do um, or something that you might be like, that's just a weird thing that name is on about. But actually what you're doing is you're connecting with your pelvis in such a deep way that you're not really aware of subcon you're subconsciously connecting in with your whole area right you're connecting in with how your body is moving cyclically month to month you're connecting in with a discharge it's literally leaving your vagina so you're connecting in with your vagina in this way and um 
basically it's got like cilia hairs that are like in the nose and it moves the mucus discharge down just like when you've got a cold right and so what society's done is gone discharge gross and you're going oh yeah i'm gross but actually if you go oh my gosh there's cilia hairs moving my discharge down and i'm connecting in with like how much discharge is there and actually if i explored discharge i'd be aware that there's like times when it's sticky and it's like really like not the same as it is when it's like wet and it's like when it's wet it's allowing the sperm, it's feeding the sperm with fructose and it's nourishing the sperm and it's allowing the sperm to live for longer. And when it's scant and it's together under the, under the microscope, the actual lanes of the discharge are like webs and they prevent the sperm from um, moving any further and they actually kill the sperm off. Whoa. I'm amazing, right? And so if we could tune in to like every single day with that, just for three months, I wonder where that conversation would go for you, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And what was coming up for me there was, it feels like a lot of this work kind of moves from shame to normalizing to celebrating. Because what was coming up and I was thinking of, you know, thoughts that I've had in the past of, around discharge I remember thinking you know when I was younger that I must be weird because I must be the only person who has this and like how embarrassing it is and like you know you don't want like people to see your pants or like anything like that but actually recognizing that that's normal a lot of this stuff and oh that's then really cool that my body does this and like that's something that we should be celebrating so like that feels for me like energetically like the arc of doing this work like shame normalizing celebrating would you say yeah yeah 100 percent. like if you look at the themes of consciousness shame's the bottom one right so yeah. moving through shame so hard and what mm. i see often happens is that you know that normalization often comes with anger like there's so much anger that can come up in this space mm. angry even if you're listening to this now and you're like i never knew that and then you get angry about it you're like why did no one ever tell me this you know mm-hmm. well, like when you're trying to conceive why did nobody tell me the egg was actually only receptive to sperm for 10 hours and I shut down my cycle for 22 years do you know what I mean and it's like that level of anger and frustration and then we're normalizing the conversation like you say and then we move through that anger because we can always work with anger can't we and then we're like oh, this is so cool I'm celebrating myself and everyone else do you know what I mean yeah 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 absolutely and you know I know as well that when I first read Wild Power by Alexandra Pope and yeah. Shani Hugo Wurlitzer. When I read that years ago, it was life-changing, like absolutely life-changing. Like I didn't know that I was supposed to be different every day. I didn't know that I was allowed to give myself permission to be to be different every day. You know, that mm-hmm. for me was like a huge life shift. So I'm really glad that you brought that in as kind of a, an initial step because I know the power of all other women that have experienced that. What other tools and practices have helped you or your clients? And I know there's lots. You've mentioned rituals and ceremonies and womb work. So maybe you could speak a little bit to those things and expand. Yeah, I think one of the things I find really life changing for myself as somebody who has dealt with a lot of anxiety over the years is really being aware of my nervous system and how my nervous system kind of pendulums. Yeah. And what that looks like for us day to day is being in that like fight or flight being in the dorsal freeze response which I bloody love living in I've learned like I can freeze and lose myself like that it's getting much less over the years but I am like my inner protectors will come in and be like you're useless you know you're not worthy and like I can hear them and they'll get louder and louder and louder the more dysregulated I am yeah and then the yeah yeah right (laughs) and then and then um and then being in the parasympathetic like living life and being like oh my gosh it's so great everything's so great we don't want to be in the parasympathetic all the time because that's just not right either we want to feel that pendulum shift so what I've really really had to sit with was I lacked mothering growing up and I believe that a lot of us does did we can have the most phenomenal mothers and still feel like we lack mothering maybe past that age of like being in our, in our twenties and not have mothered ourselves. So what I kind of see with this like nervous system work is how we can mother ourselves with that pendulum swinging nervous system. And so what I kind of love clients and I love to do for myself is see where I sit within Uh, my day to day and what brings me out of it and now I'm and now I work with my specific tools that 
I enjoy working with and I've explored over the years it's like okay what is it that that comes back to that question what is it that I need today and then being like where am I today I feel a bit frantic I'm probably in fight or flight I'm actually feeling like I'm in that cocooning freeze response and I just don't know what to do with myself or where to go or actually I'm feeling really good today I feel very parasympathetic so it's like okay how can I keep myself in that parasympathetic state that's where I want to be today how can I move myself out of that fight or flight how can I move myself from the freeze response and how can I do that through the ceremony and ritual that I'm used to bringing in for myself and when people think about ceremony and ritual am I going to want people to be aware that this can be as basic as making yourself a cup of tea and actually drinking it hot or warm Mm. uh, and sitting with it Mm -hmm. right because I think we often will get to the point where and I did I did a Vipassana um uh course uh, last year 10 day one and if no one knows what that is, it's like where you sit in silence for 10 days and it is genuinely sitting in silence for 10 days and was way more extreme than I probably should have yeah done. I've done a I've done a silent retreat for seven days uh, a couple of times and it's it's full on <laughs> <laughs> you're like I'll be absolutely fine I can't wait for the silence <laughs> no it actually wasn't the silence it was more just the fact that I was like feeling like I was in like you know jail I, like, I need to get out um but in that time I always think about when he said, uh, Yogi Bhaji, what's his name? Bhaji. He said, um, don't just don't just eat your breakfast on WhatsApp, be with your breakfast. Mm. And I was like, it's so true that I think that we often, oh no, that was in my yoga training. He said, don't eat breakfast with WhatsApp. And I was like, this is so true. And it was kind of what was mirrored in the Papasana. It's like, you're being with, every single moment of your day with the sensations that are coming up the feelings that are coming up and being with that even if you're at work even if you're drinking a cup of tea and it's being with that moment and feeling into the body at any given time like what's coming up what's triggering what's challenging and what I like to do in times when I'm feeling dysregulated and generally just day to day is like plug myself back into mother earth and I think this is a tool that everyone can come to it's where we send down a grounding cord into the earth below. We plug ourselves into Mother Earth's placenta, so to speak. We come back to being cyclical and in nature and reminding ourselves that, hey, look, she's in her summer and I'm actually also in my summer or I'm in my winter. And what does that look like for me? And how can I resource through um, plugging myself into Mother Earth? And I think when we give ourselves this permission just for a moment to energetically and visually plug ourselves in through our pelvis down from our womb through our vaginas down into mother earth below and be like oh my gosh and just like you know be fed from her like howled from her by her nourished by her for a moment that gives me so much when it comes to like mothering myself I feel mothered by mother earth if that makes sense yeah 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 yeah. that's beautiful thank you what if you've been through a lot of sexual trauma or abuse what would you say to that for somebody entering into this field of work who's carrying a lot what would you say to that yeah so that's why I've had to really bolster myself with trauma work Mm. because I I don't think I underestimated the amount of uh, sexual assault and rape that exists in society but I certainly think I didn't expect to see so much of it in in a space that I was creating and what happened was, was the more I was working with clients, I have a very specific form that they fill out and on there I will ask quite specifically and openly around sexual assault, uh, child sexual assault uh, and rape. And what I've learned, Megan, over the years is that we are very, very confused as a society around rape. We're very, very confused what defines rape and we're very, very confused about consent. And so even if somebody's listening to this um, they may be thinking, well, I did go through this sexual experience, but oh, I wasn't that bad. It wasn't yeah. that bad because I didn't leave with bruises or I wasn't beaten up. And that tends to be what society has depicted as what rape looks like. Mm. Um, and this is obviously not the case. So what I say first and foremost is there's a very gentle um, landing into this kind of work through, first of all, not we don't relive I don't believe in reliving any experience that's not where this is at but it's the acknowledgement that that was shit Mm. it's the acknowledgement that that happened and it was shit and that that happened to you and I'm so sorry that that happened 
you know and I think and I get upset when I talk about it because I I find it so upsetting to see like how much and that's why I'm so passionate about this work because there's so much of it and what I often I get upset because often what happens is in my spaces is that we have a little cry together Mm. because actually they're not these people that come to me they wouldn't they tend not to have spoken about it at all to anybody else they might have even gone through counseling but not felt they could bring it up um because they didn't they felt like it wasn't a space to do that and I think that what happens is is that we have to give them we have to give everybody a moment to process and be with that that actually happened and and then once we've had the space to discuss that even just acknowledging it first and foremost and then what happens is is that we kind of are guided by what the body is ready for and so when someone's been through that level of challenge I always say like my book's amazing and it's there and it's there to normalize and it's there to educate and it's there to support, but don't feel like you have to go through that alone. So if you can find someone to support you, and even if that means coming to me for support and you feel ready to do that, then that that for me is the most important thing is being able to offer that one-to-one support. That's why I said I never not want to be able to offer that one-to-one support because then someone can come to me and process with someone, with me, if and 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 then we're guided that's why I wrote the book because for me I love all the books that exist out there at the moment I'm not dissing any book that's not what I'm doing but I'm saying that there's not enough trauma informed and not that I love the term form trauma informed I think it's a bit loosey-goosey but I think there's not enough uh, trauma awareness of rape and sexual assault within these books that are like okay now everybody open your thighs and look at your vulva in the eye and you're like I have been through actual rape and actual sexual assault and there's no way that I can just be like oh here it is and so that for me is a real problem that I see and I think that we need to be aware that there are some steps to take before that um before we 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 dive into that level of work and touch yeah yeah and there's a lot of like gentleness involved with that journey because that disconnection is the trauma right it's like when we become disconnected you know we have the traumatic incident but then we have that disconnection within us whether that's the disconnection from our bodies or our emotional capacity so that journey can be very slow for people and it can be you know very guided and very gentle so I suppose that that's just uh you know an extra invitation that if someone's been through a lot that it doesn't have to that journey of healing doesn't have to look a certain way or go at a particular speed that's kind of what I'm hearing from you as well right yeah yeah it takes a long long time yeah yeah it depends on the person as as to how quick or fast it's the body that's why it's so important to put the body somatically to see what the body is ready yeah absolutely thank you so how do rites of passage play a role in this work you've mentioned menarche and how it's something that we don't really celebrate here it's celebrated elsewhere um but I guess that that's also involved with this kind of remothering process that actually our relationship to our cycle is really impacted by where it started and maybe then a little invitation to if you are a mother with a daughter then that's kind of just something to think about so could you just talk about menarche yeah yeah menarche is your first ever bleed and in society in general we don't really talk about it we might get thrown some I mean I remember my mom just throwing me some tampons and I'm not being funny but like hey how do you insert one there's not new I mean like when you were like that age you're like I don't know how to insert that we're not necessarily ready to insert a tampon um and so there's a lot of that or just there's just a lot of amazing stories around the monarchy that fascinate me that then what happens is is that kind of mirrors our feelings and approaches to our general pelvic health it's like where the synapses form this was my experience every time you bleed it'll feel like it could be a similar experience because that trauma is there it's like almost I know it's not quite as extreme as that but I mean it definitely can be for some people it's like going through a car crash every freaking month do you know what Mm, I mean it's like mm. when I get in a car is it going to crash oh yeah it did that reaffirmed that it crashed and then you're going to get in a car again it's like am I going to be in a car crash and it's like if you go through your bleed and it's extremely painful or there was so much shame and it was very distressing is that going to happen every time I bleed is it 
and you're bracing and that's mm. a lot of this work is the body is bracing bracing for you know when we're talking about um assault for example it's like the brace 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 position the whole time so when monarche isn't great we're bracing for a really shit bleed every month um and so some of us will be gifted with a really lovely open conversation experience but a lot of us won't have um and in other societies it's mixed you know and obviously it's mixed within those societies so there's a lot of celebration and 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 awe and there's also a lot of challenge in 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 some um religions around those who bleed it's deemed that they're ready for marriage uh, and children you know and we've got to remember that these these are children themselves so um what I see is, uh, and I'm really passionate about, is us being able to be tuned back into our first bleed. And I'm not saying we're going to live it, but just being with it and exploring what happened and giving ourselves that moment. Because if we give ourselves a moment to explore that, then we can start to see what comes up month to month. And so if you're somebody that experiences really challenging period pains, what would your first period like so for myself it was extremely painful when I was lying on my psychology teacher's floor right and then it continued to be painful and then I said oh, it's painful after my children and mm-hmm. so it's just mirrored the same thing was mirrored and I'm constantly bracing myself for an awful bleed mm-hmm. now when I bleed I don't bleed with pain there might be discomfort and I'm very aware if I haven't honored myself enough in that cycle and that's mm-hmm. my body being like you haven't honored yourself enough this is why it's painful sit down lie down rest rest you know what I mean that's all that this siren is and so now I can be so aware and actually I like oh I love my bleed I Mm. love it but I'd had to move through so much trauma and challenge with my bleed in order to get to that point and going through my first ever bleed was so much of a gift so within the book there's a monarchy exploration and there's like you get a website link in the book and you can go and listen to like this visualization and you can go back and explore what came up and then see how you can move that through like so that you can move into like more of a more peace at the very least with what happened basically Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Okay, so a couple of last questions. How would you say your life is different now? So uh, then versus now from doing this work? Mm-hmm. Um, what I was saying just before we started our call is that my son turns seven tomorrow, incidentally, as we're recording. And um, he's so he, he um obviously was my first birth and to go and to conceive him was a journey and then to conceive the twins was a whole nother journey but so essentially I would say that I've been doing this work at this level for about seven years mm. and I was saying to you wasn't I that I was reflecting back with my journal today thinking gosh yeah I mean he's seven you know time flies when you have children la 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 but I was also being like oh my gosh like seven years of this in our deep work and I look I feel a very different person to then and I think one of the biggest things so my husband and I have been together for 12 years and he might murder me if I've got that wrong we could have been married for <laughs> I think we've been together for 12 years and we're celebrating 10 years anniversary of marriage or oh, nine nine this is great Megan anyway so we've been together for a long time and within that relationship um he's always felt a level of shutdown from me over the years right so I protect myself like I mentioned dorsal is my favorite place to be I protect myself from people by like shutting down and shutting them out and keeping them at a very careful distance because that protects me from um uh just what I've experienced in the past right and so one day he I said to him within my journey I was like I think I wrote about this in the book and I said do you feel like I experience joy like do you think that I actually experience joy or do you think I sit with joy and he said to me no I don't think you do and at the time I was so taken aback I actually took my breath away that he felt all those years of us being together that he didn't think that I allowed myself and us to be in joy despite even at that point have had been on quite a long journey um might have been like four years into this work and despite the fact like you know, at that point, I think we'd moved to Margate where I am now and living this like really like on the outside, like amazing life by the sea. I've got three children, you know, there should be everything, right? Everything that I've ever wanted, but yet still didn't allow myself to feel joy. And so then I went on a bit of a journey with that. And I think just being aware of 
where I'm at, like I was saying, emotionally, physically, um, and being present with myself and just taking that time and that pause allows me to reflect on, am I really here and now and experiencing the joy of here and now and the pleasure of that. And I talk about pleasure because pleasure is a beautiful byproduct of this work. Like I said, I don't talk about the orgasmic 90s Cameron Diaz pleasure. I'm talking about the pleasures of life and our clitoris is connected with the pudendal nerve to the main nerve, the ventral wanderer nerve. And so that for me is like the seat of pleasure and experience day-to-day pleasure and not the orgasmic pleasure, but pleasures of life. And so that's why I was saying, like, I feel like I'm more connected with my clitoris overall when I have sex, but I think like generally, generally day to day, I'm more connected with joy and pleasure. Um, and I, and, and that for me, and that then has been pivotal in our marriage because I'm allowing more joy in and more pleasure. And that also has a, uh, then it means that I can allow him in a little bit more, not fully mm. Megan. I'm still on that journey, <laughs> but he is definitely more present. In <laughs> oh, beautiful. How do you think society would be different if this work became mainstream culture? What do you think would be possible for us? We've talked a little bit individually. So collectively, what do you think could be possible as a result of doing this work individually? I got three, as I say, I got three children. And my one goal, I talk about this when I do a talk, is like for the world to be a little bit more pussy led by the time they get to puberty. And now he's seven. I'm like, that's soon. Um, (laughs) So maybe I'm not going to get there fully. But I feel like if there's a few, there's a few, I'll just share a couple of things that I would see that would be amazing. Um, First of all, I feel like we would be a little bit more aware of where we are cyclically, cyclically and be more empowered with our choices of contraception. And we would be more empowered with like saying, hey, I'd love to have a one night stand with X, but actually I'm in my most fertile period right now. So probably wouldn't be best without worrying about just relying on a condom. Right. And I know this seems like such a small thing, but I think that's massive because then what we have in this country is like the highest one of the highest rates. I can't remember what the stat is, but it's like one of the highest rate of like teenage pregnancies in this country. And I think it's because we live in a society where we just don't have a bloody clue about how our bodies work and how we, you know, how conception really works. And then the other thing I would see as this byproduct is a lot more consent in society and teaching our children what consent looks like from the beginning. And I would I would like to think that that would then lower the rape stats because in 2022 it was the highest number of rape ever recorded rapes a rape statistic uh in 2022 but the lowest like the convictions remain the same sorry I didn't really explain that properly but yeah so so basically what I'm saying is is that I think that if we understood consent, there's a really great study, Megan, where they were asking people to check in. They were saying, okay, if you were going into a sexual situation with somebody, and so this is where I see the problem, real problem is like, if you say yes at the beginning to having sex with somebody, right? How many times do you think you should be checking in during that sexual scenario? So like, if you're saying yes at the beginning, I want to have sex, you know, and then they have a clear yes, that's part of what we're looking for, right? Consent wise. But then how many times do you think you should check back in? So say you were drunk this is what I see a lot you were drunk and you were like yeah oh my god I'd love to right we've all been there and then you get deeper into the situation and you're like oh my god I really don't want to do this anymore but it continues on and you don't say anything and they don't check back in well only I think the stat was something like and I'm really quoting from the top of my head so just definitely 19% of um, men thought that they because obviously we have to use sex segregated um, we have to use that the data has to be um, you know with men and women because obviously it doesn't really create a neutral response so basically like men would say 19% of them said yeah we need to check back in only 19% thought they had to check back in for consent moving through from what might have been a kiss to like full-blown penetration and and women it was only 26% so what I think we would see is if we were teaching our children from the beginning around consent and that's what I do with my children is like really really teaching them about consent even to the point where one of my daughters come home comes home regularly and says my friend keeps playing with my hair and I say that's not consensual if you're saying you don't want her playing with your hair and you said no and she's continued on then that's not getting you know that's a consent issue and so it's little things like that that we don't think about that I think if we did really think about would help those kind of studies and that that kind of actual uh, real life situation that we live every day if that makes sense yeah absolutely 
Thank you so much, Naomi. This has been amazing. How can people work with you? What does your work look like with clients? Um, I brought the book out so that people could explore my work a little bit more and get my tone of voice. Because I always say to people, I'm a bit like Marmite. I'm like, you're going to want to work with me or you're not. And you're going to be like, oh, God, yes, please work with Naomi. Or you're like, yeah, that's a bit much. Um, (laughs) It kind of gives people uh, those five steps that I believe are really important that we kind of touched on throughout. Um, But what my favorite place to work with people is on a one-to-one. So I encourage people to come to me for six somatic sessions, either online or in person. I'm based in Margate in England, UK. Obviously, I'm very British. We could have told you that. Um, But I'm in Margate, um, which is very easily accessible from London, for example. And I have clients from Manchester and Scotland. So it is accessible but I know that not every week for six sessions so we can mix and match so that tends to happen or they can come to me for a whole month's holding where we have like this really beautiful retreat day in my space um and we have this real beautiful like time together pre the retreat day then we have the retreat day then we keep in touch for two weeks um and then we um check back in with another session that's really beautiful and I also work um with workshops I teach kundalini yoga uh, here in Margate um and I sometimes go to festivals around the UK so you might find me uh, there's a few more coming up this year so that's how you can work <laughs> amazing thank you so much is there anything else that you want to share uh no this has been amazing Megan this has been a gift I love chatting about it and I feel really oh. nourished I feel like your questions were amazing and I just felt really held in the space so thanks Megan for oh thank you thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom with us Naomi I mean I could talk about this topic for the rest of the day it was like agonizing to try and keep it to an hour <laughs> thank so you, thank Megan. you so much <laughs> well I don't know about you ladies but I'm in love what a banging conversation When Naomi said that she's like Marmite, I certainly know which side of the toast I land. For all women out there listening, I hope that you found this conversation enlightening and informative and see it as an invitation to connect more to your body. The more that I dive into this work for myself, the more I realise how poor our education has been around these topics. And the more that we educate and inform ourselves, the more we empower ourselves within our lives. As Naomi's book will tell you, through doing this work lies the keys to our happiness. All of Naomi's contact details are available within the show notes, and I encourage you to grab a copy of her amazing book. I always love to hear your feedback, so please feel free to hit me up on Instagram at higherlove underscore with Megan or via my website, higher-love.com. I'd love to hear your takeaways from this episode. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please do share, rate, and send on to somebody else who would benefit from it. A big thanks to Naomi for sharing her wisdom, her story, and her vibes. I certainly came away from this conversation feeling reinvigorated, re-inspired, and re-empowered within these topics. A great conversation with an epic woman. Until next time, enjoy the summer sunshine and big love. (laughs) 